Father in heaven, we thank you for joyful Sabbaths. We thank you, God, that we can come together. And Lord, we also realize that you're a holy God. And we come to you in respect and reverence right now to humble our hearts, God, before you. We pray and ask Jesus that you would bless us with understanding in your word, that we walk away from today's message with our hearts stirred. Thank you so much, Father, for blessing us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Just a reminder that today um, we have a very special message tonight, excuse me, at uh, 7.15, and it's entitled, The Mark of the Beast Revealed. The Mark of the Beast Revealed. And that's a message you don't want to miss. And you're from, if you're from our Revelation Today seminar, I just want to invite you again to make sure you come on out. We only got one whole week left. One whole week left, and I just praise God. I heard one man remark, I've learned more in the last few days than I have in the last 30 or 40 years of being a Christian. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. But that's the truth of God's Word. That's what God's Word does. When it's understood, when the Holy Spirit brings understanding to the Word of God, there's this powerful experience that takes place. You know, you look at the jackpot, the lottery jackpot. It was yesterday, $640 million. Uh, Did they have a winner? Okay, they had three winners, okay? Now think about that. $640 million divided by three winners minus the taxes. Akira, can you do that abacus thing? <laughs> right now? That's just amazing to me. But anyways, think about that. Here they are. They just get all this money. You have these three people who now get all this money, okay? Their lives are going to change, right? I mean, things are not going to be the same for them anymore, you can imagine them staying up all night fantasizing about what to do with that money. What a change. But guess what? When you discover the truths of God's word, it's worth more than $640 million. The Bible says, what will a man give for his soul? If he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul. Then you look at what the scriptures describe in one of the parables of Jesus describing a man who found something that was hidden in a field and the Bible says for the joy of finding that he sold everything to obtain that field because of the prize. How much is the gospel worth to you? When we get to heaven, folks, we're going to realize that everything was worth heaven. Can you say amen to that? And folks, that's what's exciting about being on this journey with God. Amen? Well, today's message is entitled, America in Bible Prophecy, America in Bible Prophecy. Now, let's start off with this question. What has been the theme of controversy throughout the entire Bible? When you take the book of Genesis and then you take the book of Revelation, you discover the theme of controversy throughout Scripture has been about worship. It's been about Worship, because how you worship determines who you worship. I want to say that one more time. How you worship determines who you worship. Let's read this. The primary theme of this great controversy has to do with worship. It is especially the major focus of end time events and will ultimately climax over this issue. When you take a good look in the book of Genesis, the Bible describes Cain and Abel. It describes who? Cain and Abel, right? Two brothers, right? One brought the worship that God had expected. The other brought his own fruit, his own way, his own teaching, his own method. He brought his own style of worship to God. And God tells Cain, look, Cain, I love you, but I cannot accept this. 
And the reason why God could not accept Cain's worship is because it was not what God had asked for. And number two, what God had asked for had to do with the sin problem. It had to do with the sin problem. What Abel was bringing in worship was not his own righteousness, but the righteousness of the lamb that was to come. And what Cain was bringing was his own labor, his own fruits, his own righteousness. When we fast forward to the very end of time, we're going to discover brethren who are going to be at war with each other. We're going to see a world that's divided. And we're going to see one group of people who are going to bring their own righteousness. And then we're going to discover another group of people who are bringing the righteousness that God has asked for, the Lamb of God. And folks, what type of righteousness will you bring to God? What type of righteousness will you bring to God? Your own fruits? Your own labors? Or will you bring the righteousness of God, the Lamb of God? Can you say amen to that? And so when you look throughout Scripture, you discover that the theme has to do with worship. When you read the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, you realize that Satan wanted worship. When he appears before Jesus in Matthew, chapter 4, he's asking Jesus to worship him. The devil is obsessed with this concept of worship. So when we look at end time events, it climaxes over the theme of worship. Over the theme of what? Worship. That's exactly right. Now let's go to God's Word. Now take your Bible. We're going to be going through a rapid fire Bible study. If it's not rapid fire, it's not a good Bible study, okay? A rapid fire, deep Bible study. And we're going to be looking at just a few verses, but I want to show you something interesting. We discovered from Bible prophecy the names for the Antichrist. We discovered from Bible prophecy that there are several names for the Antichrist. Number one, he's called the man of sin. Number two, the lawless one, because he has a problem with what? God's law, right? He has a problem with God's law. Number three, we identify this as also the little horn of Daniel chapter 7. We realize that he's also called the son of perdition. And who else in the scriptures called the son of perdition? Judas, that's exactly right. Externally righteous, but internally corrupt. And number five, he's also called the beast of Revelation 13. The beast of Revelation 13. Now, when we study Revelation 13, we discovered what this first beast power was. We discovered, now take a good look at what the Bible is saying in Revelation chapter 13. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And the whole world, the world marveled and followed the beast. The world marveled and followed the beast. Watch what else the Bible says about this first beast power found in the book of Revelation. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and what? Blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue to for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, when we look at all the characteristics of this first beast power, we discover a few things. We also realize that this beast power came out of the water. 
Now the Bible describes in Revelation chapter 17 what water is. The waters which thou saw are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So this first beast power, this entity, this power, arises out of a heavily populated area. A heavily populated area. Now let's put together all the characteristics. I know we're going fast forward, but this is simply a review. Number one, we realize that this first beast power rises up out of the sea, which was a heavily populated area. Number two, he was a religious power that receives worship. Number three, he rules for 42 prophetic months. 42 prophetic months, that's exact, precise, accurate. He would persecute God's saints. The Bible says he'd make war with the, the people of God. We also discover that this beast power would intend to change times and laws. That's why he's called the lawless one. We also discovered he would speak pompous words and blasphemes. Now, according to the Bible, the de definition of blasphemy is, number one, claiming to, to be God, and number two, claiming to forgive sins. I want to say that one more time. Blasphemy, according to the scriptural definition, is claiming to be God and claiming to forgive sins. The Pharisees accused Jesus of blasphemy. They said that he's claiming to be God and he claims to forgive sins. But was Jesus committing blasphemy, yes or no? No, but the Bible makes it very clear that this first beast power actually is committing blasphemy, claiming to be God and claiming to forgive sins. The Bible says he had a deadly wound, but was healed. We also discovered that the whole world wandered after this beast power and that his number would be 666, a multiplication of man's number, number six. Now, when you look at all these characteristics, you begin to take a good look at these characteristics. You discover there are three entities in the book of Revelation. You have the dragon who gives his authority all to his power, seat, and authority to this beast power. And then you discover there is a third power that comes on the scene. When you take a good look at these characteristics, though, of this Antichrist power, this first beast power, it points none other than to papal Rome, the Roman church system. God has a big problem with this system, number one, because it's a counterfeit of the real deal, and it's counterfeits that are very dangerous, and number two, because this power will play a key prophetic role in the future. I want to say that one more time. Number one, because this is a counterfeit, and number two, because this power will play a key prophetic role in the future. God also has problems with other systems of air that really distort his character and suppresses or oppresses humanity. But the reason why God has a big problem with this one is because this power claims to be a follower of God, and number two, is going to play a very important role in the future, and we'll discover this and unpack this a little bit later. So when you take all these characteristics, folks, it forms an airtight argument. Anybody who knows simple history can see it's describing the papal Rome power. The papal Rome power boasts millions of followers all over the world, claims to be an independent nation, has influence over this entire world. And we take a good look at the word anti, what it means. The word anti in Greek not only means one who opposes, but it means one who is trying to take the place of. So a lot of people are looking for this antichrist in the future who's going to be outrightly opposed to God, who's trying to destroy outwardly God's people, and very obvious, but the Bible makes it very clear that this antichrist power will be somebody who's pretending to be God and attempting to take his place. 
And when you see what the Roman church system does, you see very clearly that it is an anti-power, an anti-Christ power. That the church of Rome has shed more innocent blood during more than any other institution that has ever existed among mankind will be questioned by no Protestant who has a competent knowledge of history. You know, before I became a Christian, I had a very, uh, I had a very strong interest in art history. It was one of the reasons why I became a Christian. I was very impressed by Renaissance art. I knew what type of art was available and what it looked like during the Protestant Reformation. And so when I was learning Bible prophecy, it was so remarkable because I could see history and I could see Bible prophecy, how the Bible predicted those things, and you put it pro forma on top of it, and you realize that the Bible can be trusted. Can you say amen to that? And God wants you to trust his Bible, his word. Now take a good look at some of these quotes that from, come from Catholic leaders, Catholic literature right here. The Pope is of great authority and power that he's able to modify, declare, or interpret even divine laws. The Pope can modify divine laws since his power is not of man, but of God, and he acts as a vestigerant of God upon earth. But the Bible makes it very clear that no man can change God's law. Can you say amen to that? God's law cannot be modified. It cannot be altered. Because if God's law could be altered, then Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. But the Bible making it very clear that God's law is eternal and as, as part of his character, as the other qualities that make up his law and make up his character, his character cannot be violated, that there is a penalty for sin and that penalty must be paid. We realize that this papal power would rule for exactly 42 months or 1,260 days in Bible prophecy, that's 1,260 years. That's a very precise number. That's very exact. The Bible makes it very clear that this power would reign for that long. And sure enough, in AD 538, when the papacy was no longer opposed by those three tribes that were taken out, this power had full power all the way until 1798. That's exactly 1,260 years. That was so precise that many of the reformers that were actually living during that time were predicting the year that this papal power would lose its hold upon the world. It was so precise. And when you see how precise the Bible is, you begin to realize that the God who inspired this Bible is very precise and he does not lie. Can you say amen to that? And the God who made those prophecies and promised that these things would take place, sure enough, they happen on, completed as the scripture states. And when you realize this, you begin to realize that all the other promises that God gives you, God doesn't lie. He intends on keeping them. Can you say amen to that? And oftentimes, it just simply takes reminding God as part of your own faith that God, you said you would do these things, you did them, Lord, you did many things in the past. You kept your word. I know you'll keep your word in the future and your faith will be strengthened. This is what David Simpson said. He was an individual who was actually living during that time and on that year, they were seeing the very fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Watch what he says. Is it not extremely remarkable and a powerful confirmation of the truth of Scripture prophecy that just 1,260 years ago from the present 1798, in the very beginning of the year 538, Belisarius put an end to, of, to the empire of the gods at Rome, leaving no power therein but the bishop of Metropolis. That's another word for the papal leadership. 
read these words in prophetic scriptures, and then I say again, deny the truth of divine revelation if you can. Open your eyes and behold these things accomplishing in the face of the whole world. This thing, I love what he says, this thing is not done in a corner. The Bible says scriptures of no private interpretation. This wasn't some small thing that was just happening that no one else knew about. Bible prophecy was happening all over the world and the individuals that were living during that time could see it very clearly. Folks, this is why we need to trust God's word, why God's word can be trusted. Now, this is where we get into our message this morning because the Bible makes it very clear that this first beast power that would show up would reign for a certain time. But the Bible also describes something startling that would take place. So it says in Revelation 13, now this is so remarkable, that when this first beast power that we just learned about would lose its power, another beast power would be rising up. I want to say that one more time. That when this first beast power that we have identified as the Roman church system would lose its power, another beast power would be rising up at the very end of the reign of the very first beast. Now, we need to identify this beast power, but we're going to look at what the Bible says. Watch Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast. John is watching in vision after he sees what's happening to the first beast and how this first beast loses his power. He's watching, and all of a sudden, he sees in vision another beast. Let's keep going. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. It doesn't come out of the sea this time. What does the sea represent in Bible prophecy? Multitudes of people. This power is rising out of the earth. There's not a lot of people there. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a what? Dragon. Seems very bipolar. He's got some characteristics that represent Christ. He's got some characteristics that represent the devil. Well, let's keep going. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Now I want you to pay attention as we begin to identify the second beast. Pay attention to some of these qualities, these characteristics, and you begin to realize what this beast power is doing. All right? Here's the second part of that scripture passage. He was granted to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, or some translation says forces all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a, what's that next word? Mark, and you're going to come tonight, you'll find out what that mark is, a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may be able to buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now this is so remarkable, and I'll tell you why. Because what we are seeing here is a false trinity. I want to say that one more time. We are seeing a false trinity. Pay attention to the characteristics. You have the dragon, represented in Revelation chapter 12, who gives his power, seat, and authority to this first beast, this antichrist beast, who rules for a prophetic three and a half years, a prophetic 42 months, and then is wounded. And then you realize that there would be this worldwide power that would show up, that would have this domination, and would cause 
everybody in this world to worship this first beast. And when you see all those characteristics, you begin to realize, wait a second, that sounds like the biblical trinity. You have the Father who gives his authority to Jesus. You have Jesus who did ministry for three and a half years. You find out that Jesus from the Gospels was crucified. He was wounded. And then you realize that the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, would be sent all over the world, but the Holy Spirit would bring worship back to Jesus. And so what you are seeing in this false trinity is simply that it is a counterfeit of the real deal. A counterfeit of the real deal. You know, a lot of people have questions about the Trinity. And the questions that come many times about the biblical Trinity is this. Wait a second. How is it that three equals one? How is it that three equals one? I don't understand the concept of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Is this modalism, which basically means is God in just in one place and takes different forms? No, no, no. The Bible makes it very clear that there are three distinct personalities and these three are one. How do we understand that? Well, folks, trying to understand God is not the easiest thing in the universe. But that's why God gives us his word. Can you say amen? amen. And what God has revealed, we can understand. The disciples were not stupid men. They were not trying to prove three equals one. I want to say that one more time. The disciples were not trying to prove three equals one. Okay? What they were actually trying to show when you're reading the epistles about what the Bible says about the Trinity is how three, how three, now pay attention to what I'm about to say. I'm not going to equivocate on this wording. How three make up one. You're saying, wait a second, didn't that just sound like what you just said, three equals one? No, no, no. I didn't say three equals one. The Bible actually describes how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are actually how they make up one. What do you mean by that? The Bible is showing how a plurality can become a singularity, how it can become singular. God gives us one example on earth that shows us the best way we can understand the Trinity. How is it possible that these three are one? You read the book of Genesis, God shows us by the example of marriage. By the example of what? Marriage. marriage. Now in marriage, you don't have one person. Amen? <laughs> it takes two to tangle, right? You need two in a marriage, right? And when God gave Adam Eve, they had that first wedding ceremony, and God pronounces them one. But wait a second. How does two equal one? No one's arguing that fact, because we understand that the way a man and woman become one is simply by that L word. It's called love. And how is it that the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one? Simply put, the same way, love. And that's why the Bible says in 1 John, God is love. The word God actually can be used interchangeably throughout Scripture. You find that it can be used in the, in the plural sense, like when you read the book of Genesis, when God says, let us make man in our image, and you also being found put in the singular sense, when it talks about God the Father, or God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. When you see throughout Scripture, you begin to realize the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and Jesus is God. Can you say amen to that? A lot of people attempt to deny the divinity of the Holy Spirit, and they make the Holy Spirit is just a, a thing. But here's the thing, folks, to understand. Did God ever, and I talked about this a few months ago, 
did God ever command the children of Israel to make a temple to the wind? Are you sure about that? Have you ever read the first book of Ozekiah? Let's go there. Ozekiah chapter 3. There is no such book. That's why I'm coming around again. Right? There is no such book. Right? God never commanded the children of Israel to make a temple to the wind. Did God ever command the children of Israel to make a temple to the sun? No, that's what the pagans did, right? Did God ever command the children of Israel to make a, sun, a temple to the earth? No. They were commanded to make a temple to what? God. Now, if the Holy Spirit was merely just a force of God, then Paul would have been blasphemous when he said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But because the Holy Spirit was God is why Paul could say very easily and very clearly and succinctly, you are the temple of the what? Holy Spirit. Can you say amen if you understand that? And that's why we can trust what the Bible teaches about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen? But what we find in Scripture is a false trinity. It is a what? False trinity. And these three are trying to dominate the entire world. But we know what the Scriptures teach. All right, now let's identify this false, this second beast. Or the, yeah, the second beast right now. Here are some of the characteristics. We discover that a beast represents a nation or empire entity through Bible prophecy, Daniel chapter 7. We also realize that this beast power, this second beast power, would rise up after the fall of Papal Rome, which was in the late 1700s. Remember, 538 all the way to 1798, this beast power would reign. And then all of a sudden, this second beast power would come up at the very end of this first beast power's downfall. He starts off with Christ-like principles. He has two horns like a... Lamb, bam. And then he would speak like a what? Like a dragon. That's exactly right. So we realize he would start off, this power would start off with Christ-like principles, but then aggressively speak as a dragon. Let's identify some more principles from Revelation 13. He would be a worldwide influence. This second beast power would be so influential over the entire world. We also realize that this power would mix with spiritualism. He'd call down fire in the sight of all men. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did in Acts chapter 2 in bringing the fiery tongues upon the disciples. This third power, this second beast, is trying to duplicate the power of the Holy Spirit. But there is only one Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? We realize that this power would enforce the mark starting off with economic sanctions. The Bible makes it very clear in Revelation 13 that if you do not do as this beast power says you should do, that you will not be able to buy or sell. So we realize that this second beast power would use finances in order to coerce the people into worshiping the first beast. What else do we realize from studying Revelation chapter 13? That these, this beast power would eventually give up with the economic sanctions and then revert to force. It says that whoever would not worship the beast nor receive his mark would eventually be killed. So when the economic sanctions fail, all of a sudden, that there will be an aggressive use of deadly force. And when we put all these characteristics together, folks, when you begin to realize that this worldwide power 
right here, let's take a good look at these characteristics one more time. This would be a nation or empire. It's obviously a beast. It would rise up after the fall of Papal Rome, the late 1700s, would start off with Christ-like principles, end up speaking aggressively like a dragon, and then it would also be a worldwide influence mixed with spiritualism, influ enforce the mark with economic sanctions, and then eventually revert to force. We realize there's only one power that rose up at the end of the 1700s that was a powerful worldwide influence a power, and it came up right after the downfall of the papal power, and it is none other than the United States of America. None other than the United States of America. Now, before I go any further, I want you to understand something. I absolutely 100% love this country. Amen? Amen? My parents are immigrants from India. I was the firstborn Indian child of my family to be born in the United States of America. I still, to this day, would not be born in any other country than the country I'm now a part of. I praise the Lord for this country. But the Bible makes it very clear that from Bible prophecy that this entity would arise starting off good, but eventually speaking like a dragon. Now let's see if we can put this together. The papal captivity mentioned in verse 10 took place in 1798, and the new power was seen emerging at that time. The United States declared its independence in 1776, voted the Constitution in 1787, adopted the Bill of Rights in 1791, and was clearly recognized as a world power by 1798. The timing obviously fits America. No other power could possibly qualify. You look throughout history, you will see no other power like America that comes on the scene right at the downfall of the papal power. Now let's see if the other characteristics fit America. Two horns like a lamb. Now a lamb represents who in Bible prophecy? Jesus. Do you remember what G John said in John chapter 1, verse 29? Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. But when we look at this third beast power, we begin to realize, wait a second, it has two horns like a lamb. It seems friendly. What is that referring to? Well, when you take a good look at the history of the United States, you realize that our country was founded upon Christian principles. When pilgrims arrived to this earth, to this land, they, sat, they got on their knees and they praised the Lord. This country was the land of opportunity. This country was the land of freedom from religious persecution. Even our founding fathers were very religious men. Even our founding fathers were very religious men. And in writing up the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and other uh, literature and documents for our government, the word God is used over and over again. The word God is used, religion is used, the principles of the scriptures are used. This is George Washington and everyone should know about him, amen? amen. Crossing the Delaware. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Here's another founding father, James Madison. Religion is the basis and foundation of the government. So when America was being birthed, what they were using in helping build the foundation of American society and democracy was the principles of scripture. Respect to each other. Freedom of worship and the freedom of opportunity. The freedom of worship and the freedom of opportunity. Those are the things that God respects. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. 
John Adams, look what he says. One another, another founding father. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Watch what he says. I will avow that when I believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. And that those principles of liberty are unalterable as human nature. When they were crafting the documents that make up our society today, the Bible was used repeatedly. The principles of Christianity were used repeatedly. That's why this beast power has two horns like a, a, a lamb. But the Bible makes it very clear, though, that eventually this power that started off well, that started off on the principles of freedom, that started off on the principles of justice and what the Bible teaches, would eventually speak like a dragon. Eventually speak like a dragon. Speak like a dragon? What do you mean? Well, anytime you realize that Satan is mentioned in Scripture, what he is doing is characterized by an animal. The devil is seen as two different animals throughout Bible prophecy. Okay, now when you begin to realize this, okay? Speak like a dragon. Wait a second. The dragon is used to de describe Satan when he's being aggressive and forceful. So what are you saying, Anel? Watch what the Bible teaches. It's very interesting that this power would speak like a dragon. You take a good look at the U.S. defense budget. We actually have a $692 billion defense budget. That's actually the largest budget in the entire world, five times as big as the next budget that's in there. When you realize the amount of money that's used in the military, you realize that our nation has military capabilities that are far beyond any other country. We have personnel located in over 130 countries. That's military personnel and hundreds of military bases all over the world. There's debate about how many military bases. There's some, some people who believe that we have up to 900 bases throughout the entire world. We have our hands in almost everything when it comes to the military. You know, I was... Uh, doing a Bible study with a man who worked at Lompoc Air Force Base. He was an engineer. It was very interesting. I was with John Bradshaw, the It Is Written Evangelist, and we were meeting with this gentleman, very wonderful gentleman, and he began to show us all the various degrees and he had and all these sorts of things, and he described what the Lompoc Air Force Base was actually working on. He said, we're working on some stuff right now that would utterly blow your mind. And he said something very interesting. He said, what's aware to the public, the general public is usually two years behind where we're already at. And so he says, we're actually well in advance of what the public is aware of. He says, right now, the public is aware of that we have satellite technology that can take a, a picture of a dime anywhere on Earth. But he says this to us, and he says it's very ominous. He said, what we now have will blow your mind away. Folks, when it comes to the U.S. military, I praise God that we're in a country like this. But folks, the Bible makes it very clear that this country would eventually speak like a dragon. You take a good look at what are wars we now fight. We don't just fight the general wars. We fight what's called shadow wars. What, what are they called? Shadow wars, where we're able to topple foreign governments without having to, to uh, just avert to force and aggressiveness right off the bat. We've toppled several different governments, and you see all sorts of things that takes place by the United States. It's very interesting. These are just some of the countries that we have actually led in the toppling of their government and actually placed in their government people who we wanted. It's very interesting. The Bible makes it very clear. Two lamb-like principles, but eventually 
speak like a dragon. Watch what Revelation chapter 13, verse 17 says, that this power, what else would it do? No one may be able to buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast. What the Bible teaches is that this entity, this power, would avert, revert to economic sanctions in accomplishing its goal. Economic sanctions? You see some things that are taking place in history even now. Right now as we're speaking, you just go to the front page newspaper and you realize that the U.S. uses economic sanctions to accomplish its goals, accomplish its foreign goals. The recent one is with Iran right now that's taking place, and it's very interesting. You see that the United States has actually increased the use of economic sanctions in dealing with foreign governments. We have increased the use of economic sanctions. We deal with the banks and other entities that deal financially with a certain government, and we can actually cripple and topple governments by the use of economic sanctions. Why is that very important? Because the Bible makes it very clear that this end-time power that would come on the scene would use economic sanctions to accomplish its goal. Here's what Milica, she was actually a lady from UCLA, I believe she was a professor, and this is what she stated. The rise of the use of sanctions over the past few decades suggests an increasing prevalence, prevalence excuse me, of the view that sanctions are effective tools for, what's that next word? Influencing target governments. Our government mainly deals with economic sanctions as well, as well as military force. And when economic sanctions fail, what do we revert to? Military force. And that's exactly what the Bible describes in this second beast-like power. We also take a good look at a man who was actually an expert in foreign policy. Look what he says. Generally, economic sanctions might be defined as coercive economic measures taken against one or more countries to force, now pay attention to this, force a change in policy or at least demonstrate a country's opinions about the other's policy. And the Bible makes it very clear that no one would be able to buy or sell unless you receive the mark of the beast. And folks, when you take a good look at Bible prophecy, the only power that has that much influence over the entire world would be the superpower that we are now a part of. You know, one, one individual said that when America sneezes, the whole world catches cold. Why is that important? Because when you see how Bible prophecy describes this power that would show up, you see that it fits very clearly only the United States of America. She's the land that I love. You know, but folks, I want you to understand something. The Bible makes it very clear that one day this land, our, our world that we live in, our nation will one day breathe and talk like a dragon. And you see all the chess pieces being put there. Anybody ever played chess before? Okay, I grew up playing chess, but I lose to three-year-olds now. I don't play the game anymore. I just lose. I lose to Tristan if he wanted to play against me. Okay, but in chess, anybody who's a novice in chess will try to play the game in a very interesting way. With each move, they're attempting to take out their opponent. But anyone who actually knows how to play chess knows that you use strategy. And in strategy, you place all your pieces in all the right places, and then at the right time, checkmate. And that's how you play chess. And what you discover is that Satan is an excellent strategist. He is putting all the pieces in places, and anyone who just looks at history realizes, wait a second, that's exactly what the Bible is talking about. 
We look at Wall Street, the financial hub of the world, the dynamo of the world, and we discover that on Wall Street's whim that the entire world is affected financially. The United States holds up this world when it comes to finances. The nations of the world look to the United States for help and understanding and direction when it comes to financial policies. Folks, and all it would take would be this one power wanting to dictate its will and all the other nations would follow if money is involved. Folks, we're seeing Bible prophecy happen right before our very eyes. Look what else the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in Revelation 13 that spiritualism would be part of this second beast power and that he would convince the entire world through spiritualism to begin to worship the first beast. And you see what 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says. In other words, Paul is saying, wait a second, the Holy Spirit is being very adamant right now. He wants to communicate a message to the people of God. Now the Holy Spirit says expressly that in latter times, that's last days, some will depart from the faith. Well, why will they depart from the faith? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You see on American television that spiritualism is very rampant, that spiritualism is educating not only the adults, but it's educating the children as well. It is part of movie culture, it is part of Hollywood, and it is teaching false things about the state of the dead, and before you even know it, your child is being educated about what happens to people when they die. But we need to follow what the Bible teaches, amen? Because what's going to happen all over the world in enforcing the mark of the beast, you're going to see spiritualism become so rampant, you're going to see dead loved ones appear before you, Bible writers who have died appear before you, the Virgin Mary appear before you, and they're going to convince people, they're going to convince leaders that this is the direction to take. And what we will see climax at the end of time, we will see God's law being violated by man's law. God's law being violated by man's law. And that's why tonight's subject is extremely important. You say that would be impossible for the United States to combine with the first beast. All anybody has to do is just go back 20, 30, 40 years ago, excuse me, and you will see the holy alliance that took place where the United States presidency combined with the Roman church system and took down the largest communist entity Russia. And folks, if you think to yourself, that will never happen, it happened in the past. And if it happened in the past, it can surely happen again. You say that would be impossible for them to enforce laws to imprison people who don't worship the way they do. You think that would be impossible for them to do things like that. All anybody has to do is go back to World War II, and if you know anybody who's Japanese, you will realize that we had concentration camps on our own land. So if you think that's impossible, all you need to do is just go back 30, 40, 50 years and you will see the history of the United States. God loves the people of America. Amen? But the Bible makes it very clear that this second beast would head in a direction and bring back worship to the first beast. It happened in the past. It will happen again. Now, it's very interesting. Alexander Teitler, he was a very interesting individual historian, and he said something so remarkable. He said that generally democratic nations, like our own, don't really last much more than 200 years. We're a little bit past the 200 mark. But watch what he says. It's a quote that's attributed to him. He said this, describing the sequence of nations. 
Bondage to spiritual faith. In other words, some nations will start off being in bondage to another nation. He says this, bondage to spiritual faith. They'll have this greater revival, but spiritual faith will lead to courage. They'll get this courage. Courage to freedom, freedom to abundance, abundance to selfishness, and then selfishness to complacency, complacency to apathy, apathy to fear, apathy to fear to dependency, and dependence back to bondage. Folks, where are we? in the history of the United States. Folks, when you realize what's happening, you begin to understand that all the pieces are being put in the right places. Be careful of following modern-day Christianity, mainstream Christianity, where you see that the war we need to fight is the war against abortion and against evolution in schools and against, and against homosexuality. Those are the wars we need to fight. And sure enough, sure enough, we need to stand for Bible truth, but here's the thing. While the rest of Christian America is following after those things and warring in that crusade, the devil is sneaking through the back doors and preparing the world for this final attack. Can you say amen to Bible prophecy? The Bible makes it very clear in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I love this land with all my heart. I wouldn't be born anywhere else. I am patriotic as they come. I love Fourth of July. I know American history. But the Bible makes it very clear what the future is going to take, the future that's going to happen. And folks, I'm a citizen of this, this nation, but my real citizenship is in heaven. Amen. Folks, where's your citizenship today? Is it in heaven? Is it in heaven? Folks, God wants you to be ready for that country that's above. This world is not my home. Amen? And as we see this world becoming more and more worse, God makes it very clear that we need to stand for him in these end times. We need to stand for him in these end times. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were thrown into the fire. And why were they thrown into the fire? Because they would not worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar. The book of Daniel is the prequel. Revelation is the sequel. And what you're going to find at the end of time, an image is set up, the image of the beast. And those who don't worship this image are going to face economic sanctions. And when that fails, force will be used. Folks, sometimes as Christians who understand the Bible, we act like the future doesn't matter. That we just close the book of Revelation, close the book of Daniel. Oh, we're not going to worry about those things. I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live my life. But folks, God is calling us today to stand for him. To stand for him. You're saying, wait a second, now I struggle in my walk. Watch what the Bible says in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. The same God who wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger says, I'll take that same finger and I'll write it upon your heart today. God will write his law on your heart if you ask him to. That stone that had those law, that law written on it just stood there. Just stood there and let it happen. But folks, God is saying the same. Just stand there. Be still. And know I am God, and I will write that law upon your hearts. My righteousness will be in you, God says. And watch what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, 
This is how we return love to God, not because we gain salvation, but because salvation has been given to us at the cross. We keep the Sabbath not to gain salvation, but because of salvation. Amen? We keep the Sabbath because we are resting from our works. Amen? For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. You may look at God's law and you say, well, I don't want to keep that. It's too burdensome. It's too, as it says in one translation, grievous. Then you need God to write his law on your heart. And all of a sudden, this law of love, this picture of God becomes ever so beautiful. And you say, Lord, I want to follow you. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will send the helper. The Holy Spirit will be sent to us to follow God's law. And Jesus teaches us that if you're not faithful in the little things, how are you going to be faithful when the big test comes? I'll stand for God in those times. God says, but why not today? Why not today stand for him? Tomorrow may not come. That's why God says, today make that stand. Today follow him. Tomorrow may not come. Folks, I don't know about you, but I want to follow God. Don't you want to follow God? If you want to follow God, why don't we stand to our feet? Lord, we know in this moment of silence we're going to have right now that each person can come to you just as they are. I know that each person has something they want to talk to you about. Father in heaven, we know that Bible prophecy is relevant. And you are awakening your people to understand we're coming down to the end. And Lord, it may be through circumstances, coincidences, situations that people ended up here, part of this prophecy seminar. Maybe somebody just wanted to go to church today. But Lord, through it all, you were accomplishing your means to reach hearts today. And you wanting to prepare them for these times. Lord, make us faithful. You're the only one that can. We have no righteousness of our own, Lord. The only righteousness we have comes from you. You're the only one who can write that law. Your character upon our hearts, God. We can't even become like you without, our, without any help, God. We need your help, God. And we thank you that that is the covenant that you make with the house of Israel, that you will do that and write your holy law. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness, Lord. Bless each person the rest of the Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.